Thank you, thank you. Yes. We're so excited to share with you this morning, and I, I'm so excited for you to get to know my, my hub. He's an oak of righteousness, he is. And our message this morning is titled Be Uncommon, and it's based loosely on my book, The Uncommon Woman, but it's all about identity and allowing every circumstance in our life to imprint God's identity in our hearts because every blessing and every battle in our lives, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for the enemy to imprint a false identity and a false narrative, and there's an opportunity for us to agree with God so he can more on a deeper level imprint his identity on our lives so that we are speaking a true narrative. We are framing our disappointments and our blessings in every part of our life in light of eternity, in light of our true identity. Mahabi and I have been married for 38 years, and uh, we met at a Christian camp, I'll just tell you, and I've never met anybody. We're going to tag team, so I'll do a part, he'll sit down, and he'll talk, and back and forth, so in case you're wondering if I just brought him up here as eye candy, no, he's going to share, um, but anyway, uh, I've never met anybody more comfortable in his own skin, you know, and you know, we're getting a little older in our years, and so I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a former fitness person working in the industry for over a decade. So, I mean, one day I talked with him about stewarding our health through diet and exercise. It's a good idea. And he said, you know, you don't get this body just from not working out. You get this body from eating bad, too. Like, <laughs> okay. So, anyway, but this man, I told you uh, uh, the other night that he's a commercial construction manager by day, and then he manages ministry. And so he, he works on like, Minnesota Twin Stadium was one of his jobs, uh, Minnesota United Soccer Stadium. If you've been in Duluth and seen that ginormous hospital that's just gone up, he's just wrapping that up. And he, so he works in an alpha male society with a lot of foul language, and he's like a Boaz when he walks on the job site. These 150 men will stand up a little straighter. He's prayed for men. They've come into his office. Because they've seen a steadiness in his character, he's humble, he's strong, he's got a backbone, but he's gentle, they'll come in crying, and he'll lay hands on them and pray for them. And yet they're walking off the job site, and they banter with him, even though he's their boss, and they'll say, hey, boss, so we're going hunting, fishing this weekend. What are you doing? And he'll like, gentlemen, you know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to a women's retreat. <laughs> so, I mean, it takes a secure man, don't you think, to do that? And... Uh, when we were young married, we had our little guys back when they had two-way radios in construction. I remember he stopped home for lunch one day, and, uh, and the, he was just, you know, playing with our little boys and grabbing something to eat. And uh, the two-way radio comes on, and he works for a large subcontractor, so, but the sub that he works for is bigger than a lot of general contractors because they do large-scale work. So he's always working for a general contractor. And someone from the general contractor's office was screaming and cussing in the two-way radio. And he's like, yep, got it, got it. We'll get men around there right away. And I hear this guy. Like I, I could feel the spit coming out of his mouth. He was so mad. He was screaming. And Kev's like, cool as a cucumber. Got it, got it. We'll take care of it. And he hangs it up, and he grabs Jake and tosses him in the air and plays with him and makes him giggle. And I'm like, how are you not crying right now? <laughs> I mean, and he's like, it's not like they can take away my birthday. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be like you so bad. I want to be like you. <laughs> but when we first got married, one of the things that took a while for me to get used to is his size. <laughs> 
He's like an oak of righteousness. He's big. Like he would tie his shoe and boom, he put the foot on the, and I feel the ground shake and tie his next shoe. And like he shuts the cabinets, bam. I mean, everything was hard. And this happened multiple times where I'd be in bed, reading my book, drinking my tea. And in his world, he's pulling the covers back to get in bed. But in my world, gale force winds, like whoosh. I mean, strong enough, no lie, that my tea would go one way and my book would go the other. I'm having my own little moment. Boom, there goes my tea. There goes my book. And his eyes would get this big. Oh, sorry, sorry. You know. And we were, t because I had battled Lyme disease and we had a really, really rough start in those early years, health wise and then financially, it was a rare thing that we got dates. And so we had a wedding, an out of town wedding, one of my old college roommates. And um, so my parents were going to watch our boys. And so I had. I had light colored pants on because in Minnesota you can only wear them for a few months, you know, so I was super excited. And uh, I got a soy chai latte, which we never ever could afford, but it was like, this is our date overnight, right? I was so excited. I'm sitting there going, this is happening. We're driving to the wedding. And my, this is back when you had CDs, which shows you how old we are. But anyway, my dear hubby wanted to change the CD in the console, and he grabs the middle thing, and he clotheslines me like this. So I'm holding my soy chai, and bam, his fist comes and hits the thing, and the cover comes off, and it goes all over my hair, all over the inside of my pants. looks like I wet my pants. And I'm, like, doing Lamaze breathing. I was so upset. I'm like, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And so he pulls into Target. I'm going to get you a new outfit, he says. So... And this is one more story, then I'll get to the point. But we were, when the boys were in college, we were sitting on our king-size bed, and one of them was on his laptop, and we're talking. And Kev rolls up on his side to engage in the conversation, and one of my sons said, Dad, I just lost internet service. Can you lie back flat again? <laughs> so, true story, true story. He's a large man, and he moves in proportion to his size. Let me just say that. So I was sitting one day thinking, he's such a big guy and in so many ways. But when it comes to my fears and my tears, he's gentle and humble and perfect for me. And I was just thanking God for him. And then I was thinking, you know, Kev moves in proportion to his size. God, what's it like when you move into in proportion to your size? And scripture's full of passages that tell us, at the blast of his breath, the bottom of the ocean can be seen. The earth trembles in the presence of the living God. Think about that. He merely spoke and the heavens came to be. The earth trembles in the presence of the living God. He created the sun, yet if we get too close to the sun, we will burn up. So I was thinking, you know, how is it, God, that we can get close to you without being consumed? Well, the answer's in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. What does it mean to be uncommon? Remarkable, extraordinary, exceptional, singular, significant, special, unearthly, and mind-boggling. It's uncommon for believers to truly know their identity, to be so comfortable in their skin. Not that they think they're any better, but they're not less than. But they love their story, even in the hard seasons, because their identity is never up for grabs, regardless of the season. Amen? So when we were young marrieds and we had all the financial issues, something that kept happening is our dryer and, and washer would break down. And so we would have a rope across our living room with our clothes hanging in the living room. Again, meanwhile, my friends back at the ranch are building additions to their house and traveling. And, you know, it, the contrast was just so constantly stark. And I was always so aware of that. And there was one day I was lying on the couch, my IV bag with a Lyme disease hooked up to a broken mini blind. I got the rope hanging um, with the clothes. 
And my husband always just tried to keep things so cheerful because I was always minutes from the ditch because my life was hard, you know. I loved him, loved our kids, but I hated our story at that point. And he, he, we had a little split entry. And he came in and goes, I'm home. Foom. The, he blows a hole right underneath him in the entryway. Like he literally stepped in the entryway, foom, fell through the floor up to his armpits. He's in a hole in our entryway, standing on our Christmas decorations in the closet downstairs. No lie. He's got the armpits, and he looks up at me like, this just might push her over the edge, <laughs> you know? And so he, when he gets nervous about my emotions, he calls me names like Hun Bun and Pumpkin Duck. Pumpkin Duck, Honey Bun, it's going to be okay. And he's climbing out of the hole and trying to get out of the hole in our entryway. And I'm hanging from the ivy. I'm looking at the clothes. I look down at my husband up to his armpits in the hole in our entryway. I'm like, we are pathetic losers, you know? And he's like, no, we're not, no, we're not. And he puts a piece of plywood down. So this was my, my concept of, you know, I loved God. I, I did believe that he loved me, but I had no sense of identity. And one of the days when we had enough money to go for me to go to the laundromat instead of hanging the wretched clothes from the rope, I went to the laundromat, and I had my Bible with me. And I was looking at a passage that I had seen a thousand times before, but this time it came to life. And it's in John's Gospel, chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Because Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he'd come from God, he came from God, was returning to God. The king of the universe could do what the lowliest servant would have done in that time. Now, in that day, it's the lowliest servant that would have washed the guest's feet. So I want you to remember, think about the disciples sitting around the table waiting for the servant to do that. Where's the lowest servant who can wash our feet? None did. Can you imagine then? Because they said if, if a servant wasn't available, it would be the most humble guest. Try to imagine the disciples going, you're going to do it? And then Jesus gets up. Imagine how jarring that was because he knew who he was and that his identity was not up for grabs. The king of the universe did what the lowliest servant would have done. And the Lord thundered in my spirit, Susie, you came from me. You are my idea. You bear my image. If you could know what my son knew here, that you came from me and you're returning to me, you would know that you're not too small for big things and you're not too big for small things. Your identity comes from me. It is our privilege and our responsibility to embrace our God-given identity. And our identity does not change with the season or with the assignment. I remember in that moment when he crawled out of the hole in the floor um, that I wanted to cry, and the Lord said, thank me here. So I pulled out my journal, and I said, God, I thank you that we have a roof over our head. We have a hole in our floor, but we have a roof over our head. I want to thank you that our little boys down the hall don't know that we are in the crisis of our lives. I want to thank you that I have a husband who keeps coming home. He could so keep driving. He married a lemon. He should trade me in for some, one that works. You know, I mean, I felt like my identity was so fractured. But as I started to thank God for the things that were in my life, I realized at that moment I was the richest woman alive. Every battle, every blessing is an opportunity. Are you given the enemy real estate in your life? Or are you given heaven a voice over your life? Because your identity doesn't change with the season in the blessings, in the battles. Just reach out your arm if you would. Reach out your arm. You bear God's image. And what you are called to accomplish in this lifetime, I guarantee you, exceeds your giftings, exceeds your capacity, exceeds your abilities. It includes those, but it exceeds those. And will never happen unless God intervenes. And we cannot fulfill our calling unless we lay hold of our God-given identity. 
God in heaven wants you to live a life totally disproportionate to who you are so that people who knew you when will see you now and say, there has to be a God in heaven. Look what he did with her. Look what he did with him. An uncommon Christian will constantly be called to things over our heads, but we do so in those assignments with humility. We will constantly be called to things that seem beneath us, and we will address those and tend to those because that's what our Savior did, and we do it with absolute identity intact. We're not too small for big things. We're not too big for small things. And there's a vast difference between being a doormat and a doorkeeper. And lots of Christians are in the church who are doormats. And it's not meekness. It's not humility. It's insecurity. And insecurity is another form of selfishness because we live with us in mind. Trust me, I know. I lived in that place. A doormat thinks everybody else's gifts matter. I'll just do it. Nobody else matters. I'll just fill in the slot. A doorkeeper says... I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than a big deal anywhere else. Jamie Winship is someone I've had on my show several times, and there's another, this is another show. I've had him on a few times. If you go on myfaithradio.com and search Jamie Winship, it will rock your world. I had more men at our church pull me aside to say they were driving, they had to pull over and listen to the rest of the interview because of how he speaks on identity. But he says, if your identity is unworthiness, you will act like an unworthy person. It doesn't matter where you are or whom you're with. You'll still act to prove your worth and value. You'll set up all the chairs. You'll be the first one at church every week. Why? Because you're overflowing with joy? No, because you're trying to prove that you're worthy. Only God makes you worthy. Only God removes shame and replaces it with value. On the cross, Jesus canceled all guilt and its resulting shame. Your works cannot accomplish this. Receive the free gift of God. The fruit of doormat theology of letting people walk all over you and calling it meekness and humility is resentment, exhaustion, depression, insecurity, overcommitment, and none of those things comes from the vine. Arthur Willis wrote this, God is not merely concerned with what we do, but with why we do it. A right act may be robbed of all of its value in the sight of God if done with the wrong motive. God is not merely concerned with what we do, but with why we do it. A right act may be robbed of all of its value in the sight of God if done with the wrong motive. Another author on spiritual authority that we're really into right now, I've had him on my show, Dr. Rob Reamer says this, spiritual authority is rooted in identity, expanded in intimacy, and activated by faith. He further writes, it is the presence of God that changes us. It's the presence of God that empowers us. It's the presence of God that enables us to change the spiritual atmosphere over a family, a church, a town, a city, and a region. It is the presence of God that makes all the difference that we cannot make on our own. Even with all of our best efforts, the one irrepressible need in our lives is the presence of God. Amen? So I mentioned, and I'll talk a little bit more about our middle son, Luke, tonight. He was our strong-willed child, and I got a lot of speaking material from that boy. Um, when he was young and was asking about coming to Jesus because he'd heard the gospel so many times, he's like, so let me get this straight. If I don't ask Jesus in my heart, I'm going to hell? Because hell, and he said, hell, 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 like 10 times in five minutes. And I'm like, are you like trying to sow your wild oats before you seal this deal? Like, why, why are we talking about hell so much, you know? So finally, he gives his life to Jesus, and it's really sweet. And that night, I hear him talking to Jordan, our third, who is meek and mild, sweet as could be. This is the kid who, you, at your, his birthday party, he would get all of his birthday gifts and redistribute them and give them all to his friends when they go home. He just was that sweet. He would walk around a bug before he'd step on a bug. Well, I hear them talking, and he comes out. They're supposed to be in bed. He's got Luke Jordan by a fistful of jammies. Mom, Dad, pray that prayer with him you prayed with me, because he don't want to go to hell either. This is Luke. And Jordan's like, what he said? Like, Jordan, just the sweetest little thing ever. So one day we have him at McDonald's, and Jordan, I want to say, was 
five maybe, and he wanted to go stand in line like a big boy and get his own order of fries, uh, a second order or whatever. So I gave him his dollar, and I'm keeping a mom's you know, distance a few feet away, and he's standing there. And one by one, teenagers and different people are butting in front of him, so he's getting further and further away from the counter, not closer to it. And I said, honey, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. And we realized he is humble, he is sweet, but he's also painfully insecure. And we thought, if we don't deal with this now, he will be a spineless employee and a weak husband, and he will be weak in the kingdom. So we said, honey, you're not better than anybody, but you're not less than either. God made you in his image. And when he looks at you, his heart beats out of his chest. He loves you so much. Your opinions aren't more important, but they're not less than either. If you're in a room where everybody likes the color blue and you like red, red's good. Your opinion matters. And if you believe that you're not enough, everything you do will be to get out of a hole that you're not in. You've got to believe who you are because Jesus sings over you. We sing over you. And over time, we saw him start to kind of come into that and feel a little more comfortable with that. We would say, hear him say, how about we play this game? And we would thought we're getting somewhere. Well, a few months later, we're back at McDonald's, and this time he wanted an ice cream cone, and uh, he's standing it, and I'm keeping my mommy's distance and watching him. And once again, because he's just had this meek you know, presence about him, people were budding. And I'm like, have we taught you nothing? You know, I, you know, I'm wearing my emotions on my sleeve like, what? You know, and he goes, oh, no, mom, it's not what you think. I know I could keep my place in line if I wanted. It's just that all these people look hungrier than me. <laughs> and like a flash of lightning, I, I heard the passage in Philippians, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he laid his life down. Those two actions looked exactly the same, but they were coming out of a totally different spirit. One out of emptiness and insecurity, one out of knowing. True humility is harness strength. It comes from heaven. You know who you are. You just don't need the rest of the world to know who you are. Insecurity is from the pit of hell. And we'll talk more about that tonight. It is our privilege and responsibility to know our identity and to walk in it. First John 4, 16, it says, and so we know and rely on the go love God has for us. When I was a young mom, and I was battling this Lyme disease, and it was such a hard battle, and our medical debt was so intense, and I was in the Word. I was fasting, praying, journaling, doing everything I knew, and I remember one day just crying out to God, going, where's the victory? God, I, I'm fasting, praying, memorizing Scripture, but I get up from this place, and I'm the same insecure person I was when I started. I still have fear. I still am afraid that there's another trauma waiting around the corner. I don't know what people are saying about me, and I'm not free around that. Lord, where's the victory? And God thundered into my spirit, and he says, I know that you love me, but you don't seem to know that I love you. So until I tell you differently, every time you want to say, I love you, Lord, I want you to turn it around and say, you love me, Lord. So say it now. And I said, you love me, Lord. And it felt like a foreign language in my mouth. Say it again. You love me, Lord. I'd blow it with my kids, and he'd say, say it now. You love me, Lord. I'd make a decent dinner. Say it now. You love me, Lord. And that sounds like self-help and self-affirmation, but it's actually biblical because the Bible says it's not that we loved God, it's that he loved us. It's not how high you can jump, it's that he stooped down to make us great. He loved us first, and he keeps loving us first. And when I do these women's conferences and I ask women to put their heart, hand on their heart to say, you love me, Lord, half of them will stiffen up like Stepford wives, truly, like, no, I, I'm not going to say that. And others just soak it in. But we all need his love. And we're deceiving ourselves if we think we don't. It's his love that heals. So even though we've got guys and gals in this room, I'm just going to ask you, put your hand on your heart. Say, you love me, Lord. I'm your treasure. Look at your friend and say, I'm his favorite. 
that was lame, but that's all right. I'll let it go. His love changes everything. Before I toss it to Kev, I want to just give you an update on, on Jordan. I'll give you an update on Luke tonight. But Jordan grew in his sense of identity. In middle school, he cared so little what people thought of him. I wish he'd give a little bit of a care. You know what I mean? Like he loved, he's got a hilarious sense of humor. So when he was, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to share this, but I'm going to, because then I'll hand it to you. And then we're leaving after that later. So anyway, <laughs> he wanted white t-shirts so he could write sayings on the shirts to make you wonder if he's okay. He loved, loved people worrying about him. Like, so he had one that said, I poke badgers with spoons. And I'm like, that's so weird. He's like, I love it. I'm like, okay. So another one, I wanna cookies, W-A-N-N-A. I wanna cookies. I'm like, honey, wanna is the loose way of saying want to. And he goes, you got it. I want two cookies. And I'm like, okay. And then one day he comes down with a t-shirt and this was a time when God was dealing with my fear of man and, and not lifting a finger to manage people's opinions about me. I'm this young mom, and he, he's middle school. He comes down, and the T-shirt says, every time I laugh, I pee a little. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that's really funny. And then I went, oh, oh, you're going to school. Oh, maybe, maybe not, you know. And I felt like the, the conviction of the Lord, this is back when you could wear anything you wanted to school. But anyway, I'm like, you could just go, you know, I mean, because I was, it was totally triggering all my insecurity, but I'm like, it is funny, so, so of course, all the female teachers were offended, but all the male teachers absolutely loved it, but uh, from there, I forgot we were going to meet his parents uh, for a dinner. Now, let me just tell you, I was not raised in mainstream Christianity, so when I came into the marriage, I had some rough edges, because I, I just was new to the thing. I didn't, you know, didn't have a zipper Bible. I didn't know the lingo, you know. And his sweet mom, love her, God rest her soul, love her. We ended up with a good relationship. But at the beginning, I could tell it was hard for her that he didn't marry someone in the, in the youth group, you know. And uh, so that was a little bit of a struggle for her, trying to get used to me. And um, I, I felt constantly self-aware. So imagine we're going to this restaurant, and I've Got, you know, we walk in, and her eyes scan past all of us, and she zeroes in on Jordan, and she reads the T-shirt, and I'm holding my breath, and she goes, huh? hey, that happens to me, too. <laughs> I was like, score. I'm so happy. Anyway, Jordan is a, a leader. He's a manager. He's a strong, humble man of God, and there's not a hint of that insecurity in him, and so it's amazing. We can recover. We can reject rejection and reject insecurity. And our identity going forward, look at how the enemy is attacking, attacking identity. Look at how he's dismantling families. We have got to fight for our families, and we have got to know our identity. I'll hand it over. Well, one thing you need to know about having a wife that's um, an author and a speaker and has a radio platform is no stories are off limits. People, people, more people know things about me than probably that they should. So we get a lot of stories that kind of just go out there. But I want to just add uh, to what Susie said. We're so grateful to be here. I'm one of those statistics, you guys, Pastor Mark and Kevin, that, that was impacted so much by camp. I grew up at a camp, and it was life-changing for me, so foundational. So we're so glad to be here. I spent a lot of time, like Susie said, at women's events. And so just to have an event like this where just a bunch of families and guys in the room I want to say our, our uh, ministry is to strengthen the church and strengthen families. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to do. And so to have an opportunity like this to be able to do that is just incredible and awesome. And so we're grateful to even just have that opportunity. 
um, one of the things that we want to do is just to share kind of open and honestly. One of the things we, we honestly love just being transparent about our story. Uh, we're one story, you know, but we have a, but we've had a journey, you know, and we've had some things that have been struggles and things that we've learned from. But one thing that we know is God is faithful. He's always been with us. He's taught us some incredible lessons along the way, like many of you. And uh, so we want to share some of those things. But being open and honest with your story sometimes means uh, confession. So I'm going to actually confess a little story to you that something happened to me when I was a little child, uh, when I was young. I was fourth or fifth grade when this happened. So um, do you guys remember, some of you that are maybe a little bit older will remember the presidential fitness program. Presidential fit, remember that? We got a little patch if you participated. And so what that was, for those of you that don't know, uh, this is, this is a, a while ago. So I was maybe in, I don't know if I was in fourth or fifth grade when this, uh, first, when this story took place. But this is a day when we would go to school and we would all run the 100-yard dash or the 40-yard dash or whatever. We would do sit-ups and push-ups and pull-ups and rope climb and we would do all those things. All of our scores would be recorded. And as in my mind, uh, being in the fourth, fifth grade, whatever, I thought all of our scores were recorded and then sent directly to the President of the United States for review. So they had to like see what we were all doing and we had to prove that we could do all these things well. So that was the context and so that's what, that's what we were doing. Um, so I had, a, I had con completed all the events and we went back to our class and we were just in class and there was a student that came uh, back down from, uh, from the PE or gym area and he just like, sorry, teacher, he had to interrupt the class. He said, we didn't, forgot to record Kevin Larson's pull-up numbers. And so um, I was like, uh-oh. And so I just blurted out, 14. Why I said 14, I don't know, because I did not do 14 pull-ups. <laughs> I maybe did five or six pull-ups. So and as I think about it now, if you're going to lie about it, I could have said any number. I could have said 100, you know, but anyways, 14 was a number that came out of my mouth. And so I said 14, he took that number, he went back down and recorded it, life went on, I really didn't think any more of it at that point. Um, until our uh, principal, Mr. Carlson, comes on a few days later over the intercom, says thank you all to the entire school for participating in the presidential fitness program, I have a very special announcement. Kevin Larson now holds the record at Cedar Crest Elementary School for the most pull-ups in the history of the school. So I'm like, oh no, that's not good. So I was a little uh, nervous about that, but still, um, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really you know, come clean. I didn't say anything more about it. I just figured this is just gonna drop. We'll forget about it like it never happened. And I don't know, do we have anybody here from uh, Cedar Valley Church? So Cedar Valley, before it was Cedar Valley, used to be called Bloomington Assembly of God. Bloomington Assembly of God, before it was that, was Cedar Crest Elementary School. So that was the history of where all this started. That was the first place of this crime and this big lie that I, <laughs> uh, that I did. It's ironic that it's a church now, uh, but, right, but that was the start of this sinful thing in my life. So... Anyways, I then still, I, I felt kind of exposed, but I thought this is just going to go away. It's going to be okay. Um, until, once again, uh, this was a couple weeks later now, Mr. Carlson, back on the intercom for the whole school, he says, hey, I just want you guys all to know, next time you come down to PE, check out the Cedar Crest trophy case and the brand new Cedar Crest 
Hall of Fame. <laughs> Fitness Hall of Fame. So, of course, I go down there, and big letters is pull-up champion, most of the <laughs> Kevin Larson in big letters. Me and all the other Cedar Crest elite athletes were in that trophy case. So, <laughs> so I still... I still didn't come clean with this. In fact, this was something that came, that kind of followed me through uh, my life. And what this, what this slide was, and I think some of you might relate to this, there's a point to this story, is it said something inside of me that I was not enough. Like whatever I did, I could have said five or six pull-ups. Nobody ever would have thought any more of it. it I was right in there with everybody else. Um, I didn't do 14, but I had, a, I had something in me that was like, I have to say more than I did. So in other words, I wasn't enough. That was a lie, that was part of my identity that I just didn't quite, I just co couldn't quite um, get there. So I had to lie about it. That followed me with, that followed me for a long time. I, this went a few decades and I would think about it every now and then. It was just one of those things, you know, it just pops into your head. It's like, why did they do that? And it's like, I remembered it. Well, I was, we used to be volunteer youth pastors. And so I was given a message one time to our junior, senior high youth group about lying. And, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit picks these times to just say, now is the time you're going to come clean. So I'm in the middle of this, and I'm just, I just had to stop. And I said, you guys, I'm so sorry, but i got to come clean for something. And, I just, and I, so I shared it for the first time in decades. <laughs> this is something that happened. And I kind of shared it in a way that, like, this, is, this was part of my identity. And it actually ended up being something that was, uh, it kind of connected with the kids, you know. So, but anyways, I think the Holy Spirit has a very funny sense of humor sometimes to just say, this is the time that you're going to come clean. So, but that lie was something that was really kind of unearthed something to me that was an uh, insecurity. It was something that I needed to always prove myself. So I grew up in a family of seven kids. We both did, actually. We had seven kids in our families, big family. We didn't have much. We were, uh, we were, I mean, poor. We didn't have a lot of food a lot of times. And so, let alone, you know, the, any of the nice clothes, things like that. So we, we had to work hard just to kind of keep our head above water. My dad worked two or three jobs all the time, just trying to feed us and trying to just keep us uh, in that place. So many of you guys know uh, our story eventually intersects, and we get to this place where uh, we come into our earlier marriage, and that's where you heard about some of the health struggles that we had. Now pile on medical debt. Well, what that did is it fueled in me some of this insecurity that was like, I am not enough. I can't do this on my own. I have a struggle of just trying to keep up. So I was falling into the, kind of that same pattern. I was getting to that place where it's like, I can't do enough. I gotta work two, three jobs. I gotta just like try to do everything that I can do to keep us, uh, keep a roof over our head. So still not seeking or trusting God much in this, in this time. Um, but when we do that, we get tired. And sometimes we just get to a place where it's just like, I, I can't keep doing this. And there was a point in our life, I don't know, you guys have probably have this happen too, where you can point back at times in your life where you have a, an event or something happens in life that is just an absolute game changer. It's a 180 turnaround. And so that happened for me when I was 35 years old. We have young kids. We have all this debt. Susie's health struggle was actually kind of starting to wane a little bit. We were kind of not getting on top, but we were like head above waterline and we were kind of doing partway okay. I'm 35 years old and I get diagnosed with cancer. And that was a time when I, when I look at, back at it now, it's like, that was one of those things, I, I'm so glad, I can say I'm a cancer survivor, but at that time, it was, I mean, I, didn't, don't, I never feel like God gave me cancer, but it's one of those things, I always explain this this way, it's like, I would never wish that on anybody, 
but I wouldn't trade it either because of what that did in my heart and what my mind, it changed my complete perspective on life. And it took a while, it was kind of a journey and a battle, but until that time, I was absolute type A, high achieving, high capacities driver. I was, I was, and I was good at it. I was like, I can do, I can do more. I can take another job, I can do more. I just like, I'm gonna do everything that I can possibly do to stay ahead and do everything that God is, uh, what I thought, asking me to do. And I was calling it responsibility at the time, but my most important core values until 35, it felt like, were achievement, productivity. It was, I was just that guy. It just was, I was the one that was, I always wanted to do that. But that changed after that point to faithfulness and fruitfulness, which is much different. It's a com- it comes from a completely different place. Some of it might look the same, but it comes from a d- completely different place. I went from striving and independence to strength through dependence. And so that was just a game-changing moment in my life. So this is something that I I feel like once it kind of gets like in your DNA, you feel like there's a time where uh, this is like wired in me. And so it it took a while. That wasn't, this wasn't a 180 turnaround that just happened. We had a lot of struggle after that. In fact, what I did is I went from, you know, a not a, a kind of a secular way of just trying to provide and trying to make money and get more jobs and do whatever I can do to, to do that. To, that perspective at first changed my heart a little bit to say I was all in for God. I was in for ministry and I was a, I was a believer too. I just, I, I loved God and Jesus. I, I loved my life that way. But after that, I was like, okay, I got to do something that matters. So I kind of took some of that same workaholic tendency and just applied it to church. So I started doing everything with church, which wasn't good for our marriage either. It was, out of, it was still out of balance. So this thing took a little while for me to get to that place where we were in a, in a good rhythm of doing only what God asked us to do and doing uh, the call that's on, that was on my life. So uh, God's been speaking to me through this whole time in this sense. And in, in other words, I'm still kind of learning this as we go. Um, but we're not meant to do this journey on our own. And I'm not sure exactly how that first uh, misunderstanding of my identity got into my heart and my soul when I was just a little kid and stayed with me for a long time. But this I know, that we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's after us. He wants to, he wants to take us out however we can. So there's something about paying attention to those things, even from childhood, those lies that we told or the lies that we tell ourselves even today that are part of our, they're kind of part of our history, uh, but it's a time to look back and say, what are those things that I don't quite feel uh, in my full identity? The, God loves me, and I don't have to do everything on my own. God, more rests on God's shoulders than on my shoulders. So as I spent some time kind of working through this, I want to say I had some really good memories uh, as a kid. I would say I felt like I had a good life. If I look back, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time at, at camp and church and had a good family. In other words, I had a dad. My dad just died a couple years ago, and I've worked through some of this stuff with him, but I will tell you, he never, he never hit me. He never beat me. He never even yelled at me that I can remember. Um, but he also, he didn't really pursue me, you know? And it was, it, it's sometimes when we go through life, when we look at our story, like, we're, we're, um, we're okay because some of, some of the things, like Susie shared when she, was, when she was young, there's certain things that happen to us when we're little um, that shouldn't have, and those are things to grieve over. So like if something happened to you that shouldn't have, 
it's a time to grieve over. But there's also things that maybe you should have had that you didn't. And I think that was, pr that was probably more of my story. It felt like being pursued was something that I just didn't get as a little kid. So what that did is it started to develop something. Once I kind of started to understand this identity, it developed in me something that um, I feel like is a call of God on my life. I love to mentor young men. It's just one of my, um, it's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, some of them are here today. Um, I love to do that. Uh, when, I, when I do that, and I talk to the young men that are uh, uh, either young married or they're in the marketplace or whatever, I just feel like I can relate to them. I feel like I have some stories to tell them. One of them, I feel like, is whenever I talk to a young guy that's married, I tell them uh, absolutely the game changer thing, the hands, hands down, the biggest thing that we've done in our life that's had the most fruit and most effectiveness is praying together. So there's, there's fam lots of families here. It's so to be able to pray together with your spouse, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time in prayer together. We get up in the morning, we spend our own time together, our own time, but then we come together and we pray together morning and night. And there's nothing in our life that's done more for our marriage and our family than that. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, uh, real, real quickly, one of the things that as we're kind of walking through uh, this journey of understanding uh, how to be more like Jesus, um, and one of the things I'll, I'll do, another quote, this Rob Reamer, this book that we're reading right now, he says, being like Jesus, it, it is a journey, but being like Jesus takes exactly one lifetime plus one day. So it's not something that we get to uh, through our life, but we keep on that journey. It's something that we keep working towards. Um, but I want to say, I just I start to wrap up here. Uh, there's a couple ways that we um, have recently started to uh, uh, really hear from God, and one of them has been in, uh, in dreams. So Acts 2.17 says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So after reading this verse a few years ago, Susie and I started praying. It's like, we, wanted, we want that. We want visions and we want dreams. So being the young man that I am, I thought, I'm going to pray for visions. <laughs> and God says, dude, you're old. You're going to get dreams. So sometimes God calls me dude. So it just, that's how it happens. So. But one, run, one recent dream, I feel like we just pay attention to this. We talk about them in the, when we wake up in the morning. But there was this dream that I had that was another game-changer moment for me. And it kind of talked to my father mentor heart that wants to, uh, young men to be you know, understood about their identity and things like that. So this dream, I'm going to just tell you quickly. So um, Susie and I are at this amusement park. And we were just leaving. So we're leaving the parking lot. The gate, you know, that comes down the parking lot is down, and it's broken. It's not going up. So we're first in line. The gate is down. We can't get out. There's cars now lining up behind me, and I'm kinda, we're kind of stuck there. And so I kind of wave at the car behind me. It's like, hey, can you guys back up? And they, they wouldn't. And so I put my car in reverse, and I start to back up a little bit, and, uh, and they're not moving, and I accidentally bumped into them. Just, I just touched them. It was like very just slight, but I bumped into their car. So I get out, it's like, ah. Oh. So I get out, and this car was like a clown car of people. There was like so many people in this car, all men, all young men, all different races, all different age, you know, ages, and so these guys just start peeling out of this car, one after another. And as I get out, there's no damage on the bumper at all. 
but the whole side of the car is all smashed in. And so I get out, and so they are saying that I was responsible for all this damage on their car. It's like, look what you did to our car. It's like, no, I didn't. And so this was, was all smashed on their side of their car. So they're obviously very entitled and trying to say, you are responsible for this and trying to get, you know, take advantage of me and get money. And I'm arguing with them, saying, no, that, I did not do that. I just bumped into your bumper. And so this is escalating, and it keeps getting more and more, um, you know, just to a higher level. And so finally, one of the kind of the leaders, the guy was there, and he says, he, he was just trying to say, you are going to pay for all this. But they were not really saying what they wanted other than they just, they said, this is your responsible for this whole thing. Well, I finally just asked him, I said, what is it that you want? And so I'm exasperated at this point. And he looks at me and tears come down his face and he says, I want a father. And then I, I go from person to person um, just down this line, every one of them, he says the same thing. I want a father. I want a father. So in that moment, I went from being angry and trying to defend myself to seeing all these guys with the heart of Jesus. And there's a, there's such a huge need in the world, and it's so easy to miss what people need because we're seeing the situation or the circumstance or whatever through somebody else's pain or whatever it is that they're coming after us. Um, but if we can pause and just say, I see you through the eyes of Jesus that you have needs. It's, it was just such a thing that I, now I look back, when someone comes against me, um, I almost immediately remember that dream, and I go back to the place where God sees that person. Whatever they have gone through, they must have a really bad day. Something has gone on in their life that is really difficult, really hard, and I might have an opportunity to say, to share the love of Jesus with that person. And so that's what fuels how I mentor. It fuels how I uh, treat people. And not that we always do this right, but it's something that I just feel like the Holy Spirit speaks to us that way. And as there's been so many dreams that we've had like that, that are just like something, I, and then you remember it, and you just say, God is speaking to us this time. And I love that he does that for us. So I'm going to wrap right there. So. Um. You know, you think about, I talked about how comfortable he is in his own skin, and, you know, he killed it in the construction world, and yet in the place where it was hard for us was a marriage, uh, because he, you know, that pursuit wound for him created a disengagement in, at home. I mean, he was a great dad, very patient, very patient loving with me, but I was sending up the warning flare because of the workaholism, because when the crisis settled down, the, the workaholic didn't slow down, right? And... Um, so there'd be six, nine-month stretches where it was just difficult. And there's stretch when after cancer when he was running two building campaigns at our church and overseeing the youth ministry and working a big day job. It went uh, three years where there, and I realized later my, my love languages are quality time and acts of service, and neither of those things were happening. So my love account was getting bankrupt, and I t truly got to a point where, um, and I just, this, we're honest about this, I write about this in Alone in Marriage, and uh, because if it helps one person, um, but I, I had no more love, 
And I feared God, so I wasn't going to walk away, but my account was empty because I'd sent up the warning flare saying, this isn't working, this isn't working. And in his mind, he's thinking, we have a solid marriage, we love God, I just got to finish this building project, we're going to be okay. And so I was telling on him to God, you know, I was tattling, going, God, <laughs> this is not working. And the Lord confronted me and said, Susie, I know Kev's missing it right now with this overworking, but you're the one who's created the greater sin, committed the greater sin. I said, what is that? And he said, you let your love grow cold. You made a vow before God and man to love him in sickness and in health, rich and poor, in season and out. And I want you to apologize to him. And I realized that my anger was what was getting the laundry done. You know, and the house was clean. Everybody had clean boxers. I mean, you know, it's amazing what anger can do, right? I wasn't being mean to him. I was just, I feared God, so I was internalizing, but I, there was a wedge between us, and you can't walk intimately with God for a long time and not have love for your fellow man, not to mention your spouse, but I was in conflict because I was so hurt that we were so disconnected, and to lay down that anger and apologize to him with no promise that he was going to hear me this time and say, this isn't sustainable for us in marriage was so risky to me, but I feared God. And so one night he was looking at a blueprint and I went and I humbled myself and put myself on the floor because I just thought, I, I want to just gesture, go low, right? And so I said, can we talk? And he said, yes. And he still had his face in the blueprint. And I said, God has shown me something. I know that you know this hasn't gone well for us the last few years. But the Lord has shown me I've committed the greater offense. And then the blueprint came down and he's looking at me and I said, I've let my love grow cold. I know you still love me. My account feels empty, but I fear God. And because I fear him, I'm going to love you, whether you get me or not. I'm going to be kind. Because I, I, when I look back, it wasn't like I, you know, did anything other than gave him the small piece of chicken or something, you know, once in a while, or the bumpy pillow. This is what Christians do for revenge, right? You're getting the small, rubbery piece of chicken tonight. But even so, the love in my heart, I was responsible for the measure of love in my heart. And so I said... Whether you get me or not, I've made a commitment to love you. And so as I'm talking, I could see the scales came off of his eyes. And he said, is this what my choices have been doing to you? And we wept and we repented. And it wasn't a once and done. It was a journey because workaholism is a stronghold. Fear, anger, those can be strongholds. They're like cavities in your soul. And we had repeated repentance and refreshment. And I got to tell you, it is amazing when you're striving in your uh, uh, false identity, which he was doing, he, you can kill it in one area, and anybody can kill it in one area at the expense of a lot of other areas. But when you're walking in your true identity, you're flourishing, and you're seeing great things happen in all the areas of your life in different ways. But I can tell you honestly before God, since we started to, when we kind of came together to rebuild our marriage, we're both, like, what are the non-negotiables? We both had a, an active walk with the Lord in our private time, but we're like, we're coming together, and we are going to pray. And every night, we're going to pray. This is a non-negotiable. And as I said the first session, dreams are conceived through intimacy, and they're achieved through intimacy. That's when vision started to come. And I can tell you, we are managing five times more now together than we were apart, and we get to bed on time. It is amazing to me that you can, it's like, because we recognize, and this is the, really the fruit of this story is in our book, Your Sacred Yes. That's 15 years of, of battling and learning. We have limits, but we serve a God who has no limits. And when we started to respect our limits, but within those limits, say, God, you do the impossible in and through us, that's when we started to see God move. 
And when we talked about the dreams, as I get ready to wrap, I'll invite the worship team up if I can. You know, if it's in the Bible, we're asking for it. And we, and we cross denominational lines as speakers. Um, and so when we talk about dreams, that's not always well received. But I'm like, hey, if it's in the Bible, we're asking for it. And uh, so we've been asking for dreams in the last years. And just as he is a mentor of young men, a leader of men by instinct, one of my, I think, core callings is intercessor. I'm, like I said, an introvert, love solitude. I can pray for hours. That's just one of my core callings. And one night, um, a couple years ago in the fall, I was so depressed over the news. And the scripture talking about, I mean, scripture talks about truth is thrown to the ground. And people have said we're in a post-truth culture where it's like, I don't care if it, like they would show man on the street interviews. And someone's like, do you even care? if? I mean, if this is true, do you care? No, I really don't. I mean, it's like, I have my truth, you have your truth. And I, I have such a sense of justice in me that it was like, I had so much angst, like, truth is thrown to the ground, Lord, and, and corruption runs amok, and, and the injustice is everywhere, and like the psalmist, I was crying out, but I was under it, because I was feeling it so deeply, and so I went to sleep, which I don't, I struggle with sleep, but you can pray for me about that, it's a, it's a wretched battle, with Lyme disease, there's something about that interrupts your sleep, it's hard, I hate it, but this night I had deep sleep, and I had a profound dream, and notice our dreams, as we sh I share this one, as I get ready to wrap, is very connected to my identity and my calling, but in the dream, I'm standing in this pile of rubble the size of a football field, and they were chunks of building that clearly were building chunks from halls of power, like you would see like White House or something like that. You could tell, but they were giant chunks, and I was up to my knees, and it was just a spance of rubble. And in the dream, the sun is warm on my face, and I'm in awe, and I'm like, no way. And off to my left is this heavenly city with the purples and oranges and yellows, and I could see it was a city that could not be shaken. And in this dream, I, I look over my shoulder, and about every 20 feet was another person with the same look on their face, like, no way did that just happen. And I knew in my dream instinctively, these were intercessors, and the rubble was corruption and that the intercessors had prayed down the corruption. And then I woke up, and my, I, my Bible was opened up to Isaiah 25. Oh, Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you've accomplished them. You've turned mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned to rubble. And it goes on and on and says, you're a tower of refuge for the poor. I say all this to say, if you look at Psalm 46 and then write down Isaiah 25, 26 with my dream in mind, I went to bed discouraged and despairing. I woke up with fire in my bones. And I know in my knower, God misses nothing. He sees everything. And he will deal with every ounce and inch of injustice. And what I've learned as I've studied scripture and as we've fought our battles together is that God treats his children differently then he treats those who reject him. He's different towards his kids. Read it through Proverbs. Read it in Psalm 37. Throughout Scripture, the earth responds to God's, I mean, heavens respond to God's people. Even the earth groans for the day when God reveals who his children really are. And in Matthew 27, 28, in verse 35 of 27, in the same sentence it says, when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. So think about this. The king of the universe hung overhead while they gambled with their lives below. And so it goes today. The earth responded to God's presence when Jesus was on the cross. The earth shook. The rocks split. Darkness covered the earth. The dead responded to God's presence. Well, the godly, the godly ones, because they, their tombs opened up and they went back to town. 
Have you ever thought of what that was like? Hi, I was only mostly dead. How you doing? Want to have lunch? I mean, truly imagine. They went back to town. The godly dead rose from the dead and went back into town to see their people. But the ungodly dead, well, they stayed dead. Difference. Matthew 28. The two Marys went to the tomb. A servant of the Lord who carried the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that they had appearance like lightning. Clothes were white as snow. And just by the angel of the Lord appearing, the earth once again responds. The earth quakes. The guards, the big tough guards sent to guard the tomb, muscle heads with all their weaponry, become like dead men. And this isn't in the text, but I kind of happen to think they may be wet their pants. I mean, how do you not? If you're like so scared out of your mind, you pass out. But the two vulnerable Marys who had the guts to be associated with Jesus' tomb, even though he was dead, women were so vulnerable, and they followed this man who was unjustly accused and died, and yet they cared so much that they went to the tomb. They were at first afraid, but then they were comforted. They were comforted by this fierce sight of this angel who carried the presence of the Lord, whom the earth responded to. So that same sun burns up one and comforts and heals another. And the same thing in Malachi, it talks about, you've said terrible things about me. What have we said about you? You said, what's the use in obeying God? What's the use in feeling sorry for our sins? So there's this an, a tidal attitude. But then a little further in Malachi, it says, but then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another and the Lord listened and opened a scroll of remembrance. He treats his children differently. The wicked he knows from afar. The righteous, he hears their cry, and he saves them. He binds up their wounds. He sends them out into the world as ambassadors. What an amazing gift to belong to him. But you can see that when we're operating out of our false identity, things are fractured, things are broken. We may kill it in one area, but fall down in another. But what you come into the true, full, honest to goodness God-given identity that God has imprinted upon you, you will be amazed at how you flourish and how others are nourished by your life. Can you stand? I am uncommon when I live more by faith than by fear. I am uncommon when I care more about what God thinks than what people think of me. When I fear God more than the opinions of others, I will choose the uncommon path. I am uncommon when it matters more that I do what God says than what others say about what I do. To be uncommon is to be free, to be all God intended me to be. We just want to take a moment, because I know it's lunchtime, and we just want to pray over identities, that God would heal and rescue and redeem, because you know what, as Kev said, you have an enemy. you got a target on your back. And not one person in this room is exempt from that attack because you're a threat to the enemy. So if we could be more self-aware and more discerning of the ways the enemy has tried to get in, to flip the script, to get us to believe a narrative that's not true, to get us operating in our false identity. How do you know when you're operating in your false identity? Insecurity, self-consciousness, playing not to lose. How do you know when you're operating in your true identity? Holy confidence, humble dependence, kingdom passion, Calvary love. You are so happy about other stories and you're happy about yours even in the hard times because your identity is never up for grabs. So, hon, I'll let you pray and then I'll pray. And we come yeah, back. I just want to add really quickly here. We do have these opportunities. Susie said, I, straddle, I straddle these two worlds of uh, commercial construction and the alpha male and a lot of alpha female business uh, during the week and women's events on weekends. And I want to just say, guys, we have uh, girls are a little bit ahead of us on this in a lot of ways. But we all need healing. We all need things that uh, things that are broken in our life. 
And the reason that we do what we do, and I feel like it's such a privilege to go speak at, even at a women's event, uh, when you see what change, how a heart of a woman changes and how that can change a family is incredible. And we hear the stories from people. It's like, my family is different. My family's changed because of something that happened in this heart of a woman in the family. But I will say this, um, the heart of a man changing in a family has such significant impact. So we have an opportunity during this week, as you're away from your routines, you're away from the the stresses of your jobs and things, and you're here with your family, take this time, this opportunity to be together, meet with God. In the presence of God is where this happens. It's where you learn your identity. It's where God speaks to you. There's services like this. There's lots of activities going on, but press into God during this time. Press into his presence and just watch what he does and then buckle up because there's a, there is a story that God's writing in your life. So just, I'm sorry, but when you have a bunch of men in the room, I just want to take that opportunity to say that, to just press in during this week. Enjoy this, this is, because uh, it's not going to happen again for a while. Huh? Yeah, it's just, just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, 